Hey guys, welcome to episode nine of Mountain Murders. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? I feel like we've been getting a lot of positive feedback from folks. Yes, definitely. I've noticed a couple of reviews have been left for us. Yep. With Mountain Murders, which is awesome. It Thanks is. for the feedback. Um, so one of the comments that I had received from a friend, actually, she was like, men- well, mentioning that we had accents. And I'm like, well, yeah, we're from the mountains. Of course we do. I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are from Western North Carolina, and that is why we call the show Mountain Murders, because we are real mountain folks talking about real mountain murders that have happened locally. And we actually put a poll out on Facebook, was that last week, asking people um, what they'd like to hear, and we gave them some options, and they voted to hear um, some stories about murdered sheriffs. Right. And there's actually a couple here in Western North Carolina, surprisingly, three of them in Jackson County. That's crazy. I know. So I just didn't pay to be a sheriff in Jackson County in the, um, I guess, 20s, 30s, and 50s. So, yeah. So, yeah, like we were discussing earlier, this is older cases back when the sheriff was more hands-on. Yeah, a couple of Less of, of an are. administrator, more of a going around taking care of the town. Yeah, a couple of them are, and we will maybe skip around a little bit to some different areas. Uh, we have, like I mentioned, three stories out of Jackson County, North Carolina. We have a story out of Haywood County. And then we're going to skip over to um, Rutherford County, which still would be considered, I guess, the foothills of Western North Carolina. Oh, definitely. And so we have a story from there. It's a little more recent. But, you know, fallen officers is, you know, nothing new. I mean, we still have that happen occasionally um, around. And always, always sad to hear about that. But these are some pretty interesting ones. So you ready to get started? Yeah, but can I, can we, can we, um, Ask the audience what they think about what I asked you just a minute ago. <laughs> sure. What, what, are, so what are we talking about? So with me about? opening the show and saying, hey, guys. Yeah. Um, I was just wondering if that, anybody finds that offensive or if they just consider it a turn of phrase. I don't know. In this politically correct age, you might just want to say, hey, y'all. Um, yeah, I should. Okay. So got, should I say, hey, y'all or hey, guys? I'm just going to go with hey, y'all. I'm going to say, hey, y'all, because one, it's such a great bit of local color and two um you know it's pretty inclusive it applies to all of y'all all of y'all including your cats your dogs Ewanses. yeah every, everybody okay i'm gonna stick with that all of the above okay let's do this are you ready okay i'm ready so this is pretty fascinating stuff so september 1st 1928 which would have been a saturday i guess word had spread pretty quickly around jackson county that following evening or the previous evening pardon me um at a box supper which i guess was the thing they did back then at the balsam school um this escaped convict named ed smathers shot and killed the deputy sheriff claude green my gosh yeah so people said that ed smathers had two guns on his person and i guess pulled out both guns starts blazing i tried to find some newspaper reports and clips they were pretty vague, um, but one of the things I did find was that interest in this case was so great that the newspaper described it as the largest crowd to appear in court, like in Jackson County history. And they called in 100 men from Haywood County as potential jurors. Ah. Yeah, and Ed Smathers was convicted of second-degree murder, and he was sentenced to serve 20 to 25 years but after only serving a short time, he was paroled and moved out west. Did you say second degree? Yep. 
So, did you say an escaped convict? Yeah. How in the world did they get knocked down? I mean, I I know about premeditation and first-degree murder and all that, but I don't know. That's very interesting. Now, some of the things I did find in research um, was that Smather's family said that he actually wasn't the gunman, that he was there, but he had a cousin who was actually responsible for shooting Claude Green and that he was wrongly convicted. But, wow. yeah, second-degree murder was sentenced to serve 20 to 25 years, but apparently only served a very short sentence, and then he got out and moved out west. Yeah, it just leaves me wondering if he knew they were escaped, recognized them, and tried to approach them. Yeah, well, and again, um, through research from some of the newspaper articles dating you know, back to 1928, there really wasn't any reporting on the motive. The why? Why did he do this? Just the but, fact of how it happened and the community's reaction, basically. Yeah. But this was 1928. So fast forward about 10 years later in Jackson County, another sheriff is murdered. <laughs> so Sheriff uh, Mason and a deputy named Homer, Turp- Homer Turpin, <clears throat> they went to the home of Donald Ash and Webster on Wednesday, June 15th, 1938, to serve some commitment papers when Sheriff Mason was shot in the shoulder and chest by a shotgun blast. So Deputy Turpin immediately, you know, fled the scene, went to town to try to get assistance. And while, you know, he was coming back to make an arrest, you know, with some backup, um, he ended up finding Mr. Ash dead in an upstairs bedroom from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Wow. Yeah. So only a, a decade later... From the first sheriff being murdered, the second sheriff is murdered in Jackson County. Doesn't pay to be sheriff in Jackson County back then, does it? Apparently not. And so then we're going to fast forward a few more years to 1953, the date being July 2nd, 1953, so just before Independence Day. Sheriff Middleton, along with several other law enforcement officers, went up to a neighborhood here in Jackson County called Canada. A lot of people call it Little Canada Community. It's a pretty rural area. Um, it's up past Tuckasegee. Um, I guess 281 is the road that'll take you out that way, almost into Transylvania County. Pretty far up there, really rural area, still fairly isolated, even in this day and age. So they go up there to try to locate this guy named Demos Woods. And... He had assaulted a woman named Norvella McCall, and Woods had eluded arrest by hiding out in this heavily wooded area up in the Canada community, and several of Woods' friends who were with him in the woods were also arrested and gave information about Woods making, I guess, some threatening statements to the sheriff and about the sheriff. And so after they received some information about where in this very forested area, you know, that Woods is hiding out— Sheriff Middleton, along with another officer named John Sides, were walking a trail in the woods when Sheriff Middleton was gunned down by a shotgun blast, struck him in the chest and neck. Officer Sides only saw two figures run into the thickly, you know, dense wooded area, and then a manhunt ensued, and they had to get multiple law enforcement agencies involved, and Woods was eventually captured and convicted of murdering Sheriff Middleton, and Woods incarceration information has been pretty hard to locate i mean um if you go into you know the department of corrections it only goes back so far right 
So I couldn't find a lot of information about this Demos Woods, um, how long he served in prison. But, of course, local legend, folklore, stories passed down, if you will, say that he did serve a lengthy sentence for this crime and that eventually he was paroled and died of cancer. Well, he sounds like a real asshole. (laughs) So this is one of the more interesting stories. I mean, not that, you know, the others weren't that interesting, but. I find this one particularly interesting because of the time period and I guess the history that kind of goes along with the story. So the death of Haywood County Sheriff, his name was John Philip Noland, and he was actually a Civil War sheriff. Oh, well. So, you know, during this time period, of course, America's at war, Civil War, um, the Confederacy had launched this thing, these conscription laws that basically required all able-bodied men to fight for the Confederate Army. And one reason why I think this is pretty interesting, and I'm not going to try to get into too many political discussions with people, but, um, you know, you hear a lot about, like, the Confederate monuments, and people have a lot of harsh feelings about that war and about what the Confederacy stood for. And I get all of that. I really do. But um, there's always these questions about, you know, why do Southerners have such an attachment to this um, history or this heritage, not hate kind of thing. And I really can kind of see both sides of it because you have to figure a lot of these men who fought on the South side really didn't have a dog in the fight. They were forced to sign up and fight on the side of the Confederate. Right. They're basically drafted, drafted, forced, and um, they're not going to, they're not reaping the benefits of some of the spoils of the potential winds of that war, if the South well, war no, won. and especially here in Western and, North Carolina, um, no. there were so very few slave owners here in the mountains. Right. I mean, most of the people in the Appalachian region were just poor dirt farmers trying to make a dollar and feed their families. Right, and that was typically the one to two percent richest people who might have benefited off that horrible setup. Right, but um, yeah, so they're forced to go. They do go. And, um, and then, you know, you know in, years later, in remembrance, their families might want to honor them or their service. Right. And people don't really understand that. Well, why? That they fought on the wrong side of history right. and whatever. But you have to realize that these people were drafted. It's not like they went and signed up or that they really wanted to do this. Right. And a lot of people were opposed to fighting and would take to hiding out. And um, so John Philip Noland, this sheriff in Haywood County, was... Um, charged with enforcing those conscription laws. So, you know, his job was to find those deserters um, who were hiding in um, caves up in the mountains, in camps. And uh, one of the interesting things is these uh, draft dodgers, if you will, were supplied by their women. Ah. So they would go off and hide, and their wives and girlfriends and mothers and sisters were the ones smuggling food and things to them to help keep them alive. Because they were so opposed, they didn't want to go to this war. It wasn't their war. Right, much like to be repeated in the Vietnam War when uh, so many people left and went to Canada. Right, exactly. So So, to go along with that, um, these two brothers, Bud and Harrison Robinson, they were hidden out in Rogers Cove, which is above what we know now as Lake Junaluska. And Bud got caught before the pair could flee. They were trying to get away from the war. And to get revenge on this sheriff who had arrested his brother, Harrison concocted this grand plan that he was going to get back at this sheriff. 
So I guess it was September 22nd, 1862. Uh, Joanne Robinson rode into Waynesville to visit her jailed husband. Um, <clears throat> and before she got back to the place where Harrison was waiting, uh, Sheriff Nolan had hoped that he would be able to follow Joanne and find the criminals who had evaded him. Ah, so it's all part of the master plan, though. Joanne, you know, is part of this plan. She's riding off into the, you know, wide blue yonder, hoping the sheriff's going to follow her into the woods, and he does. But it was a setup. So Harrison um, had sent Joe into town knowing that the sheriff was going to tail her, that he just couldn't resist. And uh, as Joanne approached, I guess with the sheriff on her trail, she gave some sort of signal to Harrison and maybe some of the other people who were hiding in the woods. And this heavy lead ball struck Sheriff Nolan in the throat, killing him. And they now call that spot Nolan's Gap. So he was killed uh, just trying to find these war deserters. Which he was likely reluctant. Who knows? Might have been reluctant to even fulfill that duty of his office if you will right well the county arrested this guy named james franklin as one of the uh, people who caused nolan's death and sentenced him to death in a week devoted entirely to capital offenses in mid-october 1862 but i have no record of whether or not that sentence was carried out again some of these criminal records from the past spotty and hard to locate so you really kind of have to just go on uh, the oral histories and some of the stories that have been passed down. Well, I'm going to guess that likely he was put to death because there wasn't any real appeals process back then, if you will. And well, they typically didn't play around with that kind of thing. Well, several of those Robinsons, including Bud and Joanne, did flee and they left and they went to the West. So abandoned their mountain home, went West, you know, probably not ever heard from again. And some of the family members that are local here have changed their name to Robertson to dis- distinguish themselves from those assassins. Oh, So right wow. after this happened. Uh, I guess it was 1868, the Union Army dropped charges against the Unionist killers. Wow. So a pretty interesting bit of history. And there was a local attorney named Lynn Noland over in Haywood County who did a lot of research on this because this would have been his ancestor. And he did a lot of research on this um, situation and... Yes, a lot of uh, his research and whatnot has been kind of published about this case. Wow, that's very interesting. So I got another one here that's a bit more recent, and this takes place in Rutherford County. It's kind of a crazy story. So May 31st, 1979, um, this fellow named James W. Hutchins gunned down a Rutherford County, North Carolina deputy sheriff's captain named Roy Husky. And the brother of the Rutherford... That's a hard one to say. It's Rutherford... (laughs) But around here, we call it Rufferton. can't talk today. <laughs> Plus, okay, so I got to tell them a little bit about this. We just had hot wings, and I've determined I think I'm allergic to something in buffalo sauce because every time I try to eat wings, and I love wings, something about the sauce kills me. I start to have, like, some weird allergy attack. Yeah. And I still feel like I haven't fully recovered from that. Yeah, I mean, it, shit got real there for a minute. <laughs> I know. I thought I and, was going to um, I thought we were going to have to call some folks for you. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. horrible. So I sort of feel like I haven't truly recovered from that episode, which was probably only, what, like 15, 20 minutes ago? Right. So you'll have to pardon me if I sound a little discombobulated. It's probably due to my near-death experience that I had while trying to eat um, one of those delicious flat wings. I love the flats. 
Yeah, and that, and that was the medium, so thank God we didn't go for the hot. I know, and I eat spicy hot things all the time, so I don't know what it is about buffalo sauce in particular. Okay, let's get back to the story. So I'm so just going to, we'll just start from the beginning. Here's a refresher for you. May 31st, 1979, James W. Hutchins guns down this Rutherford County deputy. Uh, he's a sheriff's captain named Roy Husky, and he is the brother of the Rutherford County Sheriff Damon Husky. And also a deputy named Owen Messersmith. When they arrived separately at the Hutchins residence uh, located in the Foothills Mountain region here of Western North Carolina, the officers had responded to a domestic disturbance call involving Hutchins and his teenage daughter, Charlotte, who had returned home to prepare for her high school graduation that evening and was making some sort of alcoholic drink for a party afterwards. So this caused Hutchins to become enraged to assault his daughter, yet had a dispute about some vodka and all hell breaks loose. Well, yeah, there's no way to get your point across about um, the dangers of underage drinking, like beating the shit out of your kid. Right? Right. I mean, if anything, this sounds like a pretty typical, stereotypical mountain story, right? <clears throat> so we're off to a good start. Well, when other family members tried to protect Charlotte, he became really violent with the rest of his family. Right. So Charlotte escapes and flees to a neighbor's house, and the sheriff is called again. So Hutchins shot Captain Husky in the head with a high-powered rifle, ambush style, from within his home. As this um, captain is exiting his patrol car, which, of course, he parked in the driveway right in front of the Hutchins' home. So guy just doing his job, gets this domestic disturbance call, pulls in the driveway, Gets out of his vehicle, wham, shot right in the head. And that is why, to this day, I believe officers are, you know, weary of domestic dispute calls because you never know. The person you show up to help could end up being the one to hurt you. I mean, it's just it's just a crazy situation. Well, anytime families are yes. involved, these domestic situations, be it husbands and wives. You never know what the hell could happen. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, fathers and daughters. That shit can escalate real quick. Yes. Because emotions are running high. You know, we all have family. We understand. You love your family, but they're the ones who can probably push your buttons and anger you the most. Right. And you never know who, who, who's the one flipping out when you show up. Exactly. So Deputy Messersmith was dispatched several minutes later to check on the captain who hadn't radioed or called in. Like they knew he'd gotten to the home, but then they hadn't heard from him. So they were getting a little worried. So when Messersmith arrives, he saw the captain lying beside his vehicle and realized that Husky had been fatally shot. So as he shifted into reverse and started to back away, you know, to try to find cover, Messersmith was also shot in the head through the windshield of his patrol car. What the hell? Yeah. So that vehicle drifted backwards across the street and in a ditch with Messersmith's body slumped over the steering wheel causing the horn to blow without stopping. I mean, this is giving me such a visual. Yeah. It's like something out of a movie. So Yeah, so now he's got two cops. He's two killed cops. two cops. Yep, and all over this situation with his daughter and the graduation party. Again, shit escalated real fast. Well, I'm assuming that guy was probably likely pretty batshit crazy anyway. Well. Maybe. I don't know. Well, if. Frantic neighbor, because obviously, if you were the neighbor having witnessed this situation, you peer out your window and you see what's happening. I'm sure they're you're watching. You're going to 
freak out, called the sheriff's office to report that the two deputies had been shot in the Hutchins driveway. Well, of course, confusion ensues at the sheriff's office. The radio dispatcher on duty fainted when was, you know, when informed that these two officers had been shot. I mean, can you imagine? Yeah, this is probably not the kind of thing that happens regularly there. So small town. Yeah. A jailer in the jail in the next room heard, I guess, the radio, but hadn't heard anything from the dispatcher. Went over to the dispatch area, realized the dispatcher was passed out. And began to answer phones while calling an ambulance for the dispatcher who's passed out. So this is just like... This whole system's totally crippled. Yeah. At this point. I mean, this really is kind of like shit hit the fan and everybody's freaking the fuck out. This is like a movie. Yeah. It really is. So all the available ambulances were speeding to the Hutchins residence at the time. Of course, adding to the chaos. Yeah, that gets shot. So the jailer did not know, you know, who they should notify. Um, and I guess didn't know that he should have called the state highway patrol, which was the regional headquarters in Asheville, um, so that troopers could be alerted of the situation to respond and help out and maybe give, you know, a description of the shooter, the vehicle, you know, he didn't think to do that. Maybe there's no standard operating procedure. Hopefully there's one in place now. Yeah. I'd I'd say that's what it was just so far outside the norm. Yeah. And then you have. Likely the two cops on duty, one being a captain, um, dead. And then, you know, literally. I mean, honestly, this might have been the only, one of the only patrol cars in town. Um, I'm going to probably, I mean, that's probably. You've got two yeah. patrolmen and they're both dead and it's. You, you got a jailer. Probably didn't have, but maybe what? Maybe one more officer on duty at this time. Maybe I mean, that. small town. Who knows? 1979. So let's get back to the chaos. So immediately after he murdered the two deputies. Hutchins fled the scene in his own car, still armed with that high-powered rifle. And there was a North Carolina State Highway Patrol Trooper, uh, Pete Peterson, was stopped at the McDowell-Rutherford County line, which is to the north of Rutherfordton. See, I said that with ease that time. Yes. I'm recovering from my wing episode, Uh, which is on U.S. Highway 221, pulled alongside and talking to a fellow trooper assigned to neighboring McDowell County. You see that quite a bit. Yeah. Cops pulled alongside of each other talking, whether it's, uh, you know, sheriff's deputy, local policeman, you know, that happens. So, uh, you know, these two guys are just sitting along here chatting, catching up. And then Peterson suddenly heard some garbled radio traffic on the Rutherford County Sheriff's frequency on his scanner. So at that time, troopers often used personally owned scanners in their patrol cars to monitor local law enforcement radio calls because they were on differing uh, high band frequencies um, and the state highway patrol used low band frequencies. Peterson couldn't really make out what was happening, but he suspected something was wrong and got his, you know, got turned around, left to go back to Rutherfordton because something's not right. <clears throat> oh, uh, to clarify... For people outside the area, um, Rutherfordton is located inside of Rutherford County. Is that right? Yes, sir. Yay. You know, got to consider this is the pre-cell phone era. So Peterson suspected something was wrong and left to go toward Rutherfordton. He radioed the Troop G Communication Center, which was located in Asheville, which would be the State Highway Patrol headquarters. And he asked State Highway Patrol dispatchers to call the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office and find out what was happening and to see if anything was wrong. 
because he just knew something was up. Yeah, there's probably it's nobody there to answer the damn phone because they they're in chaos over there. Well, with the advent of in-vehicle computer terminals and a decrease of radio usage, uh, later the North Carolina State Highway Patrol closed the Asheville Communication Center in 2014, and they moved operations um, near Newton, North Carolina. And so they left the Administrative Troop G Headquarters Command and Garage in Asheville. But in 1979, as was the case with many rural North Carolina counties, the Rutherford County Sheriff's Communications Center dispatched for all emergency and law enforcement agencies in the county except for those state troopers. Ah. So State Highway Patrol dispatchers called the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office repeatedly. But you were right, Dylan. Uh, they were not able to get through due to all of the chaos that was happening. That's crazy. So they were unable to get a computer reply either. Because I guess at the time they did have the computer system. Didn't get any kind of reply. The jailer attending the phones didn't know how to use the then brand new North Carolina statewide police information network computer system. Is he? Oh, Murphy's throwing water on this dispatcher. She need to wake up. <laughs> huh. Or is it, it may be a he. But, yeah, they need to come on around. So having used this PIN, they called it the PIN system because it's the Police Information Network computer system. Um, it would have been a, a pretty fast communications between the agencies. Right. Instead of using those overloaded phone lines. But, again... Guy doesn't know what he's doing. New technology is probably super on. foreign to him. Then, of course, you throw in there's this whole crazy situation unfolding and unlikely series of unfortunate events, and it prevented troopers in the region from getting an immediate situation report on the incident. So troopers were thus unaware that two Rutherford County officers had been murdered and that the suspect was at large in his car, out joyriding with his, you know, assault rifle or whatever. That's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, had the State Highway Patrol Dispatch Center been alerted, they could have located vehicle registration records on Hutchinson's car and issued a description, of course, to regional troopers. But that didn't happen. Trooper Peterson returns to the city limits of Rutherfordton. Rutherfordton. Say, I can kind of say it. You got it. It's always been a mouthful for me. Oh, yeah. It's not easy to say. So, Hutchinson sped past him. And Peterson turned and pursued, apparently thinking it was just a simple speeder. You know, it happens. Unaware that this was the suspect who had just murdered two sheriff's deputies. So Peterson's last radio transmission to Highway Patrol headquarters in Asheville was to give his location and to say the suspect had fled on foot and that he was running into this tree line. And troopers from across the region were made aware of the two Rutherford deputies having been murdered and that the suspect was still at large just as the radio contact was lost with Peterson. Oh, no. So he's just like barely hearing this as he's trying to chase this dude. Right. Into some tree line. So as you can imagine, the situation is probably not going to improve from here. Oh, God. So troopers who were rushing to assist the Rutherford County officers at the murder scene then realized that Peterson may have unknowingly encountered the killer of these two deputies. So slews of on- and off-duty troopers began to speed to his location when he didn't, didn't check in again. 
Responding troopers arrived to find Peterson's patrol car with the blue light on the roof flashing and the driver's door open. And it was stopped on the northbound shoulder of a sharp curve on U.S. 221 north of Rutherfordton, a distance behind Hutchins' car, which was stopped up near this tree line. And Trooper Peterson was slumped by the driver's side of his patrol car, uh, a gunshot wound to the head. His revolver was drawn and had been fired one time. And it was never definitively determined if he had the time, I guess, to fire at Hutchins. Troopers noted that Peterson would often shoot rattlesnakes that he might encounter on the highway, though he was also known to immediately reload his revolver so he could have a full cylinder, you know, in the event that he was actually forced to engage in some kind of gunfight. But his body was um, positioned in a way that was consistent with his having apparently used his vehicle engine block for cover, which, of course, is a standard tactic for troopers. Okay. So I guess they don't really know if he had fired a shot at Hutchins or he just pulled it out as he's trying to hunker down. Right. Get shot in the head. Anyway, James Hutchins was captured in this dense thicket on June 1st, 1979, after a 12-hour search conducted by over 200 local, state, and federal law enforcement officers from across western North Carolina and even upstate South Carolina. So they had to call in some backup. Wow. There was a, a feature film called Damon's Law that was produced by a like a local Rutherford County filmmaker um, on the whole incident. But due to the widespread anger of local residents in Rutherford County, Hutchins um, was uh, jailed the next day in Cleveland County. Hey. So they had to move him because people were really angry that he had murdered these three, like, very respected, well-liked area lawmen. So didn't make any friends with us. I'm sure. And they moved him to Shelby, Cleveland County, North Carolina, for his own safety. He was later transferred to a more secure Buncombe County jail for safekeeping up in Asheville, North Carolina. And Trooper Peterson was one of 14 North Carolina troopers killed in the western mountains of North Carolina, the Troop G. Troopers, um, which is nearly a quarter of all troopers to die in the line of duty in North Carolina since the Highway Patrol was established in 1929. So some people call Troop G um, the walking dead in some law enforcement agencies and circles. Well, it's um, not a good nickname. No, it's not at all. And uh, we can remember a couple, you know, some are due to uh, traffic accidents. Yeah. Being hit on the side of the road, um, Blanton. Trooper Blanton, yes. Fam- famously sh- shot in the face by that piece of crap. But, um, yeah, so it's a, you know, 40 right through there is a deadly stretch of highway. It really is. For yeah. uh, motorists and troopers. Well, on June 12th, 1979, the daughter Charlotte, remember she was kind of the the start of all of this. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Damn, girl. Well, I mean, her dad sounds like he was completely Yeah, he's unstable, a maniac. So let's not blame her. No, he's a but maniac. But she testified in Rutherford County that on the day of the murders, her father beat her and other members of the family. The disagreement was over the amount of vodka the daughter had poured into a punch for a high school graduation party. So the again, amount. all over not that there's alcohol. Yeah, but it sounds like it's the amount. Yeah. Not the fact that there's alcohol involved. So that's even weirder. Yep. So September 17th, 1979, Hutchins pleads not guilty following prosecutors demand that he receive the death penalty. 
And days later, the jury found him guilty of two counts of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder. And the same jury ruled that Hutchins should die in the state's gas chamber. The judge, Donald Smith, set October 12, 1979 as his execution date, also referring to Hutchins as the most dangerous man I've ever seen. But appeals brought a delay, of course, and Superior Court Judge Lacey Thornburg, who would later serve as North Carolina's Attorney General and as a federal judge, later set October 15, 1981 as the date of execution. But then more appeals pushed the date to January 22, 1982. So it seems like there are just more appeals, more appeals being filed. But Hutchins was ultimately executed on March 16, 1984. So about five years after, he went on this rampage and killed three officers. Was it still a gas chamber? I'm assuming so. I should have just shot him in the damn head. I mean, All those men were trying to do is their job. That's a And crazy keep the community story, safe. Right? And that just pisses me off. That he shot them for no reason. Yeah, I mean, wh- what were they going to come there and tell them to probably keep it down and don't, you know, back then, and domestic violence wasn't, you know. What it is today. What it is today, you know, often swept under the rug or, you know, the, you know take the man's word over. I mean, what the hell? Right. So all those men lost their lives. Because just, they were just trying to do their damn job. Just trying to do their damn job and protect their community, the community that they loved. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, the the two initially that were shot, all they did was pull into the driveway. Didn't even know what was going on. They didn't. Yeah. They had no idea what was even happening. That's and then, you know. Really sad. Yeah. It, it is, is a really sad situation. So those are our... Uh, couple of murdered sheriffs if you will that uh happened here in the region sheriffs sheriffs sheriff i want is that how people really say it what? elsewhere what sheriff sheriff well i say sheriff do you say sheriff yeah i've I been say- saying sheriff the whole time well you say sheriff 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 okay okay Thanks for improving my vocabulary for the day. Oh, was, I was just curious how the rest of the country said it. Enunciation. Well, we'll do. We'll ha- we'll take a poll. We'll yeah, find out. let's do that. Let's do a poll. You. We want to find out how you say sheriff. You go to uh, our Facebook page and uh, under this episode, you can go in the comment um, how you how you say sheriff. Okay. Sheriff. Well, thank you for bearing with me, even though I had an allergy attack and it's completely affected my capability to podcast today. I think you're going to make it though. Okay. Thanks. And you're looking better every minute. 